Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. All right, man, hopefully I've trained you well, but are you guys ready? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about, Josh. This is my, that's my, my army buddy over there, man. I love it, man. So thankful, man. Well, as I've kind of give you a prelude of coming attractions, we're starting a new series this morning. And uh, as I met with the staff to kind of brainstorm a little bit, uh, we, we titled this uh, Foundations uh, because I wanted you to know some fundamental things that everything it kind of hinges on, and that is loving God and really loving people. What I really want us to do is take a deep dive into how we're really, how we practically, like just tangibly, live out our mission and our vision, which I covered with you earlier. What are some foundational pieces that we really need to have in order to really love God and love people? What is that? And so at the onset, I want you to know something very uh, real is that I'm going to be asking you to do some things in the services and during the messages that you might feel really awkward doing. We're actually going to do the book when I preach. Uh, Not so much this Sunday, because I'm giving you a forewarning. But in the future, uh, we're going to be talking about some things like acceptance. And I'll be preaching on acceptance, and then I'll have you practice what acceptance looks like right here in the service. And so for some of you, that may feel a little awkward, that may be a little intimidating, that may be a little nerve-wracking, but again, we never force anybody to do anything, but here's what I can assure you. If you will do the book, you will get the blessing. I'm just telling you, it'll blow your mind if you'll just trust me enough that I'm trying to lead you to not just be a hearer of God's Word, but actually be a doer and not wait till you get home to do it, that we actually want to do it because lives should be transformed during the service not hoping that you figure it out when you get home. That's kind of what what I'm up to. So just know that's going to be going along. This morning, um, the only way that I know how to say this to you is I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot view of the series. And then uh, week, week after that, we'll get to the incredibly practical stuff. One more just quick note. Um, I want you to know that, that I know that I'm not going to preach like I normally do. I don't need you to remind me of that. I, I know that that's what's happening. Normally, I take a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse, and we go through a entire book of the Bible. Y'all know that's the standard here. That's what we do. I'm going to be doing what's more called topical preaching, and that is we're going to take a topic and kind of look at how the Bible deals with that based on the topic instead of just necessarily one book in one passage. We're going to kind of be in numerous places. And so I know that, and I want you to know that we're going to get right back into it as soon as we can. As a matter of fact, the next book that we're going to preach through is the book of Daniel. And so hopefully uh, you'll, uh, amen back there, sister. I can't wait. Uh, Man, I'm learning some stuff about Daniel I didn't know, and it's just really cool. Let's kind of start this morning in Matthew chapter 22. You heard me mention that to you earlier. And so Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, say these words. And he said to him, meaning Jesus, that's why the capital, he, to this question, somebody opposed to him. 
about what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what, church? And with all your what? And with all your mind. But then Jesus says that that is the greatest and foremost commandment, correct? But then he says something else, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. That it all kind of comes down to loving God and loving people. If you could boil it all down in its essence, that's really what this book is about, right? It's about loving God and being loved by God and then really loving people. And so we want to talk about that. But I know that you're here this morning. You've probably experienced some brokenness in your relationships. And the reason we have brokenness in our relationships is because of sin, right? But there's good news as we just celebrated about it at Easter Jesus' death on the cross now reconciles us to God and also is able to reconcile us to one another, resulting in peace with God and peace with other people. Think about it this way. When you look at the cross here on the pulpit that I'm preaching on, think about it this way. There are two beams here. There's a vertical beam and then there's the horizontal beam. We talk about this. The vertical beam symbolizes peace with God. The horizontal beam can resemble the peace that we have with people. In other words, we're to love God and love people. And as we love God, we're able to love people. But something also, if we were to add kind of to this, just biblically building the case, we know that in John 10.10, Jesus says these words, and it should be on the screen, and it says this, Jesus says, the thief, meaning Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus tells us one of the reasons he came. He says, I've come that they may have life and and have it what, church? Abundantly. So one question we kind of ask ourselves is, is, how do we have this abundant life in our hearts, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships? But then secondarily, another question that probably needs to be asked is, if this is what Jesus promised to his followers, then why are so many of his followers not experiencing the abundant life? That would be a fair question. Now, I've done a lot of work across the country and in other countries, and and I can tell you this, that the studies are out. That many pastors themselves do not say they have the abundant life. So, so if pastors themselves aren't living the abundant life, probably means that people that are listening to us and that make up our churches are not experiencing that either. Many are devoid of the abundant life Jesus provides. So let's kind of talk about that for a moment. Because I want you to know that God is the sovereign designer of relationships in our lives. God desires that we experience life in abundance especially in our relationships, in our hearts, yes, but in our homes, and especially in the house of God. Throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit highlights the one another's of Scripture. And I believe that the one another's of Scripture are how we experience the abundant life of Jesus. For example, if you looked in John 13, 34, you would see this. Jesus says, I give you a new command to love what? Say with me one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love what? One another. There's a one another. 
Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. Romans 16, 16. This is how I tell my wife where to do the book. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Philippians 1, 3. Give thanks for one another. Ephesians 4, 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only as helpful for building one another up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. But that the members of the body may have the same care for one another. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Romans 12, 16 and 18. Live in harmony with one another. Galatians 6, 2. Carry one another's burdens. Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves. It's, it's everywhere in the New Testament. This one another theology, this one another. So in this series, we're going to take those one another's, and, and I didn't tell you this, but those 10 verses contain 10 very relational needs that God says if you want to have abundance in your relationships of loving me and loving people, the one another's is how you do it. So we're going to take those just one by one, and we're going to, going to press on with those. This study, then, of the one another, this foundations of loving God and loving people, is designed to help you explore the nature of the key relational needs that all humans share as not only defined but designed by God. This is going to hopefully lead you into a greater insight into the ways that God in Christ meets your relational needs as equipping you to better recognize and meet those needs in other people. I want you to pay attention to me right here because I want to give you a deep insight. And that is this, that the fact that God has created each of us with relational needs points to an incredible biblical principle. In other words, the fact that God mentions the one another's so often in the scripture is for this incredible, incredible fact and insight right here. Please listen to this. You and I were never intended to live our lives alone. And I'm going to say something right here that I want, you to, I want you to listen to the rest of this message before you judge me. Listen very carefully and be careful how you listen. For your salvation, Jesus is all you need. But for everything else, you need the body of Christ. So when we sing songs like we just sang, Jesus is all I need, for your salvation, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. But then he gave you that salvation and he put you in a body so that you could live out the one and others. Because after you come to Jesus, you need people. You need each other. You can't work out your sanctification by yourself. You can't grow yourself by yourself. You need the body of Christ. You need people. You need the one another's in your life. So we're going to talk about a text here today. Now, I preach through the book of Philippians. Y'all, if y'all want to get that, go back online and listen to this. So I understand that I'm taking one verse, and I'm going to put it in its context for you, but we're going to build some, some things off of a verse of Scripture. 
because they're all the way through the rest of the scriptures. So the way that we interpret things is we let the whole Bible interpret what we're saying. I've done the study, and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly okay with taking this verse. It may seem out of its context for a moment, and I know that that's dangerous, but I've done the background, so I think I'm okay. But Philippians 4.19, so, so if you've got a, a Bible there, we're going to kind of start here, and we're going to build something for the foundation for the rest of this message. In Philippians 4.19, the Bible says this. He says, and my God will supply. Now, what's that next word? Okay, so, so who, whose God is it? Well, it's Paul's God. It's very personal. His God is to comply. How many of our needs? Okay, so, so how are you going to do that, God? Well, now he tells us the how. According to his riches, and you finish it with me. His riches what? In Christ Jesus. Well, that, that's interesting. Have you ever noticed that that verse of Scripture makes no sense if we don't have needs. So for people who say, I don't really have any needs, well, then this verse must not apply to you, and you're extra human or something. And in other words, notice the context, and that's why I want to show you this. In Philippians 4, Paul's writing this letter to the, to the people of Philippi. He's writing it from prison. This is the letter of joy which Paul expresses gratitude for the church's partnership with him in the gospel, the joy of relationships that they have, and the joy of Jesus. In verse 10, Paul is expressing his joy of the church's support for him. In verse 10, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now last you have revived your concern for me. You were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. So he said, hey, thank you for joining me. Verses 11 through 13, Paul expresses a contentment in Christ's presence that no matter the circumstances, whether in plenty or hunger, he's learned to be satisfied in Christ. In verses 14 through 18, Paul expresses gratitude for the Philippian church, sharing with him in his hardship. They gave him finances, they gave him support, and they, they met his need for appreciation, and, and they built relationships with him. And there was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And based on that context, then Paul says in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. He expresses great confidence in the power and provision of his God. It is this God who is able to not only meet, but is willing to meet the needs of his children. This is a compelling testimony of the loving care of our creator, but it's also a testimony of our own neediness. And see, what I'm here today to tell you today is that based on how God created you, he created you to be needy. It is an inescapable part of what it means to be human. We all have needs. Needs speak of being in want. But I want to specifically tailor this to talk about that you and I also have some relational needs, but we'll pick up on that in a moment. So based on Philippians 4.19 and the whole counsel of God's word, we can make some, some really clear statements. First of all, we can say this with absolute clarity, that needs are present in all of our lives. Needs are present in all of our lives. God has created us for relationships. Therefore, we have relational needs like comfort and acceptance, affection, approval, attention, appreciation, encouragement, respect, security, and support. And those needs are in every culture. 
When I go to the Dominican, when we went to El Salvador, when you go to Germany, when you go to, to anywhere in the, in the world, you get into any culture, you get into South Texas culture, or you get up into Fort Worth culture, you go to East Texas culture, wherever you want to go, you're going to find that those needs are present. Regardless of the generation that you live in, if you're an older person, let's say you're in your 70s or 80s, you still have those kind of needs. If you're an infant, you definitely have those kind of needs. If you're a teenager, you, you have those relational needs. No matter where you're at in the generation, regardless of the season of life you're in, those needs are never going to not be there. You're always going to have needs. So the thing about it, though, is we have a hard time admitting that we have needs. So let me tell you a couple of things. Consider that we all have, first of all, we all have physical needs. Everybody in the room would know that, right? I mean, Paul here is talking about there are some physical needs that that needed to be met. There were some things that needed to take place. There were people that were starving and they were collecting offerings in the churches to help feed people. Well, you know that you have a need for food. As a matter of fact, all of you about this time start letting me know You definitely have the need for food. You can make it about three weeks or so, maybe a little longer without sustenance before bad things start happening to you. You definitely need water, right? After about three days of not having water, bad things begin to happen. You also need sleep. Some of us need it more than others. Uh, there, I don't know, I just happened to be doing some study this past week, and there was a 17-year-old student that he did a project for his science fair, and he stayed awake for 11 days. I do not want to know what he was doing. I don't ever want to try that. Not interested. But I know I need sleep. You need it. You need oxygen, right? Live about three minutes, maybe. You need shelter, in harsh environments, if it's snowing or if you're out in the blazing sun, you have about three hours before bad things begin to happen to you. But you see, Jesus said we're more than just physical bodies that have physical needs because in Matthew 4.4, 4, he says this, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thus we know that Jesus himself is saying we all have physical needs, but then he would say secondly that we all have spiritual needs. We all have spiritual needs. This is where I was talking about earlier, and I want you to see this statement up on the screen. It says this, that we are fallen and in need of God's redemption. You and I, as a part of our spiritual needs, we have fallen. In other words, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we have sinned against God. We have fallen from the original state that we're in, in perfect relationship with God. Man chose to sin, and we fell away from God and did our own thing, and all of us now have to have redemption. We have to have something to pay for our sin to make us right with God. Genesis chapter 3 records that and tells us about how that happened. Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and they disobey God, and sin enters into the world. Romans 5.12 says it this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all have sinned. Every single one of us are fallen in need of God's redemption. But you know what? Here's the second thing that I don't think we pay much attention to. And that is is that we are alone in need of God's relationships. We're alone and we need God's relationships. Just 
as we need spiritually God's redemption, we also spiritually need God's relationships. We have to have them. As I mentioned earlier, the first human crisis recording in the, in the Bible was not in Genesis chapter 3. The first human crisis happened in Genesis 2.18 when after God had created all these things, then the Lord God said in Genesis 2.18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone in Genesis 2.18. So therefore, God said, what I will do because man is alone is I'm going to do something. And God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. In other words, God said the way to remove aloneness is through relationships. And that was God's relationship. God is the one who ordained marriage. I don't care what our culture says in trying to redefine it. It deserves to redefine. God gave that. Consider, I mean, Adam was in the Garden of Eden. He had a perfect environment. He possessed everything. And he had an exalted position. But yet God said it's not good for man to be alone. And what I'm here today to tell you is and remind you is, is through this series is I want you to know that we as a church have to address man's fallenness. Yes, we do. It's through Jesus and faith alone, by grace alone and Christ alone. Absolutely. 100%. But we also have to help deal with man's aloneness as well. Spiritually, people need not to be left alone. Just as much as they need to be saved. So then that would say, well, then how do we remove aloneness? And that's where we get to the church. We've done a really good job of saying, how do we remove people's fallenness? I'm trying to help bring us back around to say, how do we help deal with aloneness? And that is, thirdly, we all have relational needs. We all have relational needs. Because Adam's dilemma was aloneness. You and I experience that today. We all need God's forgiveness in Christ, and we all need one another. Did you know that there's a big difference? I don't know. Maybe you don't know. But there's a big difference between superficial relationships and intimate relationships. Is, would anybody agree with that? There's a, you can tell a, a big difference, right? Some of you have a superficial relationship with me. Not intentional. That's just the way it goes. You'd say, yeah, I kind of know my pastor, but, but I don't know that we're friends. But those of you who know me maybe as a friend a little bit deeper, you would know, like I know, there's just something different there. But did you know that it's possible to be around people all day long and still be lonely? Did you know that? Y'all know that. I don't know if you've done the studies now, but, but man, if you were to look in, at our culture, the studies before COVID and now after COVID, did you know that the number one thing people are dealing with right now in their lives is aloneness? The people are lonely because they figured out how to do life without people, or they tried to. Right now, 70% of all Americans say they are alone. Now, surely that doesn't tell me that 7 out of 10 Americans have completely isolated themselves from society. What that tells me is, is they don't have genuine community with other people. That's what that tells me. So then one of the key ways of reaching this community right here in the Grange, I'm going to say something old-fashioned to you. But listen to me. If we want to really reach the Grange, it's going to start at our supper table. It's going to start 
see, a lot of you, I know, listen, I'm not trying to be a heretic, and Justin will be the first person to correct me if I am. Listen to me, church. It's going to take the supper at your house and church at God's house to reach the grange. We can't just say we've got to invite them to church and then you just want me to give them the gospel. No, you've got to give them the gospel too, but you've also got to help remove their aloneness. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to do life with people, guys. People have to have genuine community, and that's what you are. And so I want to empower you. What do you do when you bring them over for dinner? <laughs> do you realize that we do not have the ability or the resources to meet our own needs? Do you know that? Some of you in the room are very self-sufficient, and I want you to know you've done a great job faking it. You cannot meet your own needs. You cannot do it. You can't meet your own need for salvation. You can't meet your own needs relationally. I mean, imagine coming home from work after you've just been slaughtered at work. You've been talked about bad. People made fun of you all day long. Matter of fact, you lost a promotion and you gently just look at yourself. You get home and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you know what? It's going to be okay, buddy. You got this. Now, other than looking ridiculous, you're going to leave probably more alone than when you came in. That isn't how our needs are met. You need somebody else in your life to speak into that. I mean, imagine trying to make yourself right with God by standing in a mirror and say, well, look at me, God. I mean, I'm good, right? It's not going to happen. So I wonder this morning if you could maybe get to the place where, where the psalmist David is in, in Psalm 70, verse 5. So he says this, David says, but I am afflicted and what? Whew, man, for some of us to even say those words, we're like way back when the Fonz was trying to say that, that love word, it's just like, I'm, I can't say I'm needy. Because to say I'm needy means that I'm weak, and that's the problem with our culture. We've taught people who make their needs known. They're just weak and needy people, and we need to ignore them rather than respond to them. And I'm trying to tell you something, folks. We are all needy. Neediness is not a weakness. It's what it means to be human. And we have got to change the conversation that people are actually mature enough to tell us our needs. We're to step in and meet those and learn what that kind of transparency looks like. Because the psalmist says, God, I'm needy. Hasten to me and help me. You're my help and deliver. Oh, Lord, do not die. He starts, I wonder today, would you maybe just start to begin to share what your needs are rather than being so self-reliant and self-sufficient? Because listen to me, I can't meet your needs if you don't even admit that you have them. And I know that you do. You may not know this, and this is just free. You don't have to pay attention for this one, but... Over the past few years, I've developed this pretty high need for approval. It used to not be that way. Here's kind of where what I mean by approval is. I, it's very important for me to people really, really know about my character. Maybe it's because it had been under attack for so long. I don't really know. I just need to know that, that people really need to know down deep inside who I really am, that my character matters to me. And so... Here's how God met that, and it just kind of was unintentional, but, but it happened. I'm just vulnerably sharing with you what this looks like in my life. I have this need, and so I went into the Easter service 
thinking, man, God, man, I want people to know some things about our church. I want them to know some things about who we are. And, and so, man, after I'm done preaching the Easter sermon, man, I, I just felt like quitting. I told Sarah, I came in, you know, I was like, man, I felt like this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I was sick to my stomach. I wanted to throw up. I was like, man, it's the worst message I've ever preached in my life. And and I was just kind of down and discouraged about it. And and I sent out a text to our deacons and leadership and all of our teams just saying, hey, thanks, guys, for serving so faithfully. And immediately, one of our leaders sent me back a text. Well, they sent it to the group, and they said this. They said, my son was at the service. And here's what my son said after the service was over. He said this. These are his son's words. Your pastor really loves people. Man. I have never wanted people to know me for as a good preacher. I want people to know that I really care about the people that I'm preaching to. So, man, it was just like awesome that, man, my need, somebody, somebody saw my heart. I was able to say, yeah, your pastor really does love people. Because I do. I'm not perfect. But man, I love people and I love you. And it felt good for somebody to see that and meet that need of approval. So there I was feeling so alone. But yet somebody spoke that need into my life and removed that aloneness from me. So we've learned that needs are present in our lives. Secondly, our God is a a need-meeting God. Aren't you proud of that? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad you serve a Savior who is that? Notice there in Philippians 4.19, he says, my God. (laughs) This speaks of Paul. He's like he's almost boasting in comparison to other gods. It's kind of like my friend, when I was uh, reaching Muslims in in another country, I had a friend, and we got in this taxi to go somewhere, and I can just remember the, the taxi driver was a Muslim, and, and we got to talking about our God and, and talking about the kinds of things, and, and so my friend just says this. He says, listen, does your God pray for you? Because my God prays for me. And man, that was a game changer. For a Muslim to have a God, no, they don't, that God doesn't pray for them. But we serve a God who actually prays for us. Do y'all know that? Jesus is our high priest. He's doing that. And it's just kind of like what Paul is saying. Ha, I got you here. Because, man, my God is a need-meeting God. He's Jehovah Jireh. You know that. He's the Lord who provides. He provides Abraham for a sacrifice. He provides Moses and the people of God deliverance to the Red Sea. He provides for his people while they're in the wilderness journeying around. He provides for Joshua to have victory entering the promised land. He provides a prophetic word of truth in times of exile. My God is the one who, Romans 8.32 says it this way. My God is the God who, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us what? All things, that's the kind of God that we serve. Notice there that he says, my God will supply, that's in the future tense, which means that the present needs and prospective needs, God will supply. Means he will complete what is lacking, means he'll fill up what is empty, means he will provide for the needs of our lives. It means he will make available for use his resources for our needs. So where then and how does God supply our needs? Well, the Bible says, according to his riches and glory in Christ. 
His riches speaks of his ownership of a cattle on a thousand hill. His riches speaks of his possession of the entire universe. His riches speaks of the mercy that extends to thousands of generations of those who fear him. His riches speak of spiritual wealth, of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So today, if you have a need, God has the supply. You simply walk in faith for him to provide. If you have the need for comfort, well, the Bible tells me he is the God of all comfort. If you have the need for acceptance, the Bible tells us that we have been accepted in the beloved. You have a need for security, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have the need of attention, God says, I'm mindful of you always. You have a need meeting God because needs are present in all of our lives. Our God is a need meeting God. And thirdly, very quickly, God uses relationships to meet the needs in our lives. He says there, Paul in the text said he had a need in his life and his ministry. In verse 11, if you'll look in there, Paul says, not that I speak for want, for I've learned to be content in, in whatever circumstances I've been in. And then he goes on to talk about the Philippians and how they were the ones that met him in his hardship. It's interesting to me. Paul says that he has a need. Well, how was that need met? Did an angel show up and meet it? No. Did some theological and doctrinal lesson meet it? No. How was his needs met? It was met by the relationship that he had with the body of believers at Philippi. That's how it was met. In other words, my God will meet my needs according to his riches in Christ through the God-designed relationships with his church. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because look there in verses 14 through 18. Just, just look there. Nevertheless, it's on the screen here. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Mass, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift to me more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. There's that abundance again. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sight, well-pleasing to God. In other words, think about this. Through the person and provision of Christ, God has given three means to meet our relational needs. First of all, we have the one and others in Scripture, but we have this statement that, that we have the, the relationships of marriage. It's the first thing that, that God provides to meet your relational needs is he provides a helper suitable for you. In Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. The first thing God does is provide a spouse for Adam to remove his loneliness. And, and you guys are here today. If you've been through Keeping Marriages Healthy, we, we teach this kind of stuff. But listen to me. If you are married today, your number one job in the marriage is to be the remover of your spouse's aloneness. That's your number one job. You have been given that responsibility. Nobody else on this planet can remove their aloneness like you do. It's your responsibility. So you have to figure out what are the relational needs that I need to meet to make them feel more known and less alone. That's your job. God has given us a spouse to know and to remove each other's aloneness. That's why we put so much emphasis on keeping marriages healthy and the marriage programs that we do here, because we want to invest in the marriages in our body. Now, listen, I know you may be in a relationship that is less than what you want. 
I don't know if you know the stats that are out right now, but the second highest rate of divorce is amongst couples who've been married from 22 to 25 years. Because once the kids leave home, they're left alone with somebody who's left them alone. This is, this is crazy. So God has given us a marriage, man, to meet that. The second thing is, is God also then provides the family. We have relationships and family. Close family relationships serve as environments where we can give and receive loving care and meet each other's needs. Now I know some people have a Christ-centered, spirit-filled home, and those needs are met. Some of us have a cultural Christianity home where lukewarmness is prevalent. God may be mentioned, but he's not Lord of all. So some have no healthy relationships at home. There's abuse and hurt and deep pain. But that doesn't negate the fact that that's not what God intended with family. God gave us families to help meet those needs. So those of us who aren't married, guess where we get our needs met? In our family. That's how God's designed it. So I don't have to be married to to have my needs met. My family can do that. But then thirdly, I want you to know this, that God gives us, we have the relationships in the church. The relationships in the church. You see, God has established that the church, this body, would meet one another's needs. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and 27 says this. It says, the eye cannot say the hand. Talking about members of the body, that's what we are. I have no need of you. Or again, the head of the feet say, I have no need of you. But what does he say? Now you're in Christ's body and individually members of it. This is amazing to me. We can't just go around pretending that we don't need each other. We have to have each other or we don't function right. And so no matter if then I'm single, and let's just say I'm single, but I don't have a family, you're still able to have your needs met because why? God's giving you a church family. And so if the church family doesn't focus on meeting people's needs, we leave people very much alone. And then we wonder why people get off into so much sin. Because when we're left alone, we are prone to fall into sin. So I'm just trying to help us understand the big picture. So then you say, well, then how do we do this? What are those needs? How do we go about meeting those? That's what we're going to spend the next nine weeks covering is we're going to look at those needs and how to practically meet those and then practice doing it in here so you can go do it at home. So again, our needs are present in our lives. God is a need-meeting God. God uses relationships to meet needs in our lives. And so I wanted to leave you with just this one last thought as the band comes. How many of you know, this is not like, I don't want you to raise your hand, but maybe just by verbal agreement, that way we don't have as much of a physical demonstration because I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you in the room know the story of the prodigal son? Do I have anybody in the room today? Would you just say, yeah, uh, uh, or, okay, that's good. It's about maybe half of us. So, so you know the, the, the prodigal man, he's, his dad, he asks his dad for the inheritance, and he kind of leaves early, and then he goes and squanders it, and he gets a bunch of women, and he does a, just blows a bunch of money, and he ends up eating in this pig pen, and for Jews, that's a really big deal, and Then he comes to his senses one day and he says, you know what I'll do is I'll go back home to my father and I'll just tell my father, I don't want to really be a son anymore. I'll just be willing to be a servant. Y'all remember that? 
Now see, you can miss the forest for the trees here. We could look at that like we normally do, and, and there's truth here. To say, you know what, that's what repentance looks like. And we could go down that theological thing, and this is what the sovereignty of God looks like. We could, we could do a bunch of that stuff there, but, but I don't want you to miss what's really happening here. There's a son who's got some needs. You think that son needs to be accepted by his father? Probably so. You think that son now wants true affection from his father? You think he wants to be approved of by his father knowing that he's failed? You think he has some security need now? Dad, I went and blown it all and I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to provide? See, he's got these relational needs. And this is where Luke 15 really comes in. I wonder if you could put this up on the screen. I wonder right now, if you would just read this and meditate that this is who Jesus really is. He's a need meeting God. And in light of those relational needs, not just the theological stuff, not just the redemption stuff, but look at it from this angle to see that there was something else going on. True, all that was true, but something else too. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and what? Embraced him and kissed him. See, can you imagine how alone that son really felt? He had blown it. Did it to himself. Isolated, far away from the father and just kept getting worse. But you see, God sees us as both fallen and alone. And in this picture, we see both miraculously coming together. Hey, son, we're going we're gonna to sacrifice something. Some blood's going to have to be shed. And I want you to be reminded, man, that when blood is shed, there is forgiveness of sins. And it points to the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ that when his blood was shed, that's the only way we get our sins forgiven. But God the Father also saw him in his aloneness and reached out to him and embraced him and kissed him because he wanted him to know that he saw him in that and wanted to remove his aloneness as well. That's who your God is. He's not so much focused on your sin that he leaves you alone and he doesn't leave you alone and never talk about your sin. Your God loves you and he's concerned about everything there is in your life, not just saving you from your sin, but also ministering to your aloneness. That's who he is. So today, in this moment, if you will rise to your feet, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things for me. Can you meditate on this right here? And can you allow Jesus to step into your life today if you need to be forgiven of your sin, if you've never done that, if you've never trusted that Christ and Christ alone can forgive you for all your sin, today's a really good day to do that. I'll have some friends that'll be up here. You can come grab us by the hand. We'll walk you through that. Maybe you've got some other needs. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you felt like you've blown it and you just want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you've got some other needs that this message has kind of stirred up and you're like, man, does anybody care? Does anybody see me in my aloneness? 
And you just want to come and pray with somebody and talk to somebody. We're going to be here to do that. So let me pray real quickly and we'll sing and then you respond as God allows. Father, I'm just grateful that you're so much bigger than I thought you were and that Jesus, you were who you said you were. Holy Spirit, would you move now? And I pray it in Jesus' name.